Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces podcast, episode 528. And dear God, is this a special one. You will have seen the name on the episode number and you might be surprised and confused because you didn't see this one coming. Honestly, strap yourselves in. As I'm recording this intro, we recorded this on Monday of this week and we're rushing it out because it's such a... I've just finished recording it and I'm buzzing from it what an episode shaggy living legend icon the opportunity came up quite last minute to talk to shaggy i jumped on it and i'm so happy i did this guy has lived a life you wait till you hear the stories in this episode it's absolutely astounding it's one of those i agreed to it and i was like look i'm agreeing to it because obviously i'm going to agree to have shaggy on the podcast are you mad but you never know how a guest will be, particularly when they're like huge. Like you've got to realise how huge Shaggy is, how huge Shaggy has been. I didn't know how he would be, and he was an absolute joy. I was told before I'm about a PR people, he's a good interview. And I was like, all right, well, that's promising. And they weren't wrong, man. Shaggy is is playing at the Notting Hill Carnival this weekend. It's why we've, we've rushed it out, because, um, yeah. That's going to be a hell of a show on the Saxon Sound System um, and Rampage, I think. Um, but we talk about everything, man. Like, we talk about O'Carolina. Obviously, we talk about Mr. Boombastic, It Wasn't Me, all of this stuff. We talk about his recent album with Sting. We talk about him coming up in the rap scene in the early 90s in New York. The stories that dude has got are insane. You're in for a treat, ladies and gentlemen. Please spread the word on this one. This one deserves to be heard far and wide. I want people listening to it before Carnival, after Carnival. Big love to Shaggy. If this is your first time listening, we mention Mary J. Blige, who's a previous guest. Go and check out Mary. Other previous guests include Dizzy Rascal, Killer Mike and LP from Run the Jewels, Saul Williams, Roots Maneuver back in the day. Go and check all these episodes out. There's some amazing episodes. As ever, we're brought to you by speechdevelopmentrecords.com. That's where you can buy all my merch, my music, all sorts of good stuff. Go check it out. Um, Patreon.com forward slash Scroobius Pip is where you can support the podcast for like a dollar a month. It helps pay Buddy Peace, who's turned this one over in record time, John Harris, Jared, all of the good people who work behind the scenes on this thing. And twitch.tv, speaking of music, over at twitch.tv, I've been doing some real music-based themes recently, and I've saved a few as highlights because, like, I had one that had like th- three and a half thousand people watch it my birthday stream, and I had one my, I did the ten-year anniversary of my Edinburgh Fringe run that that got like one and a half thousand v- views, and I did another one that had over a thousand views. But basically, what I'm telling you is, I've saved them as highlights. So my birthday stream is a live gig edited together it's all filmed by you guys in the crowds over the years my Edinburgh Fringe show is obviously my Edinburgh Fringe show and there's another one in that if you if you go on my Twitch page and you go on videos and collections there's a music section because I did this uh, this one stream just going through my collection of acapellas and yeah I think I think you might enjoy it it's a really good fun stream a few bits have been muted because of copyright but in general you can go and watch all of that for free over at twitch.tv forward slash Scroobius Pipio. Let's stop talking and get on with it. I mean, Scrooby and Shaggy together at last. Mate, 
You're in for a treat. This is episode 528 of the Distraction Pieces podcast with Shaggy. I'm joined today by a living l- legend, Mr. Lover Lover himself, Shaggy. How are you today, man? I am, you know, great. I'm in New York City right now. It's a lovely day. And, um, you know, I'm just having a ball, man. What can I say? <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's, it's, I was, was going to ask where you are because it's re- reasonably early over there. I wasn't sure which coast you were on. So. Yeah, I'm in the East Coast. I'm in the East Coast, New York, yeah. And how's it all been going? Uh, what's going on at the, at the moment? A, a load of press, right? Well, I'm doing a lot of press because, I, you know, apart from just coming to England and doing Nothing Hill Carnival and all the promo that I have lined up, I'm also promoting One Fine Day Festival, which is our festival with myself and Sting. Yeah. You know, and uh, this is in Philadelphia. So I've been on interviews this morning, Sting and I together. Uh, me very early, him, you know, I think it's about three o'clock, wherever he is, you know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we've just been at it. You know, so I'm really, really, I'm a real oil machine right now. So let's go. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Because, I mean, you've touched upon numerous things there. And I'm I'm so excited. I'm glad that we've got like an hour because there's so much I want to talk to you about. And I want to kind of go up and down your 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 life and timeline. But, I mean, let's start with Notting Hill Carnival because I'd imagine that's going to be a, a, something that spans up and down your timeline because you've got a new EP out in the mood and I want to talk about that, but surely the buzz when you drop things like Mr. Bombastic, It Wasn't Me, Oh Carolina, any of these, surely the, that just goes off and is like, it's like nothing else. Yeah, you know, I've been lucky to have had a catalogue of music that was well-received within the UK yeah. over the years, you know? Yeah. A lot of people go through their careers and don't even have one of these monsters. I've had like four or five of these really huge global records, you know, yeah. and a lot of them were very instrumental to the development of the genre, which is dancehall music and reggae. You know, Old yeah. Carolina was the first dancehall record to ever go number one in the British chart, whether yeah. it be dancehall or reggae to go number one in the British chart. And so that's it. Mate, yeah, I remember it. In, in 93, I was in my stage of taping music off the radio and Old Carolina dropped and it felt... So fresh. And it was a song I was familiar with because my uncle was the first label manager of Trojan Records over here. So I was familiar with reggae and ska and dancehall, but this just, and dub, but this just felt so fresh and it blew up. And I think it exposed in the UK a lot of people to dancehall and a lot of people to pirate radio and and dubs and, and, and sound systems and all of this, right? Yeah, it was great. I'll tell you what, I remember coming in, I was on tour with Maxi Priest and my manager at the time told me, yo, you got to go to England, your record is blowing up. And I, I left the tour, went on, went to England. And I remember having a signing at Dub Vendor. Uh, I think he dubbed, that was in Shepherd's Bush, I think, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I remember, I didn't know anything about Dub Vendor. I pulled up in a car and there was a line around it. And I was like, why are these people lined up? Is there, is it a soup line? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what was it. And they were lined up to actually buy this record and get the signing. And everybody thought I was this really big, fat guy because of the tone of my voice. Because they never really saw who I was yet, you know? Yeah. 
And uh, I just remember that being a thing. It was like, oh my God, you're so, you're, you're not what I thought you would look like. I'm like, you know, they probably thought I was this big dreadlocks guy, a big, you know, and I'm like, no, I'm quite the opposite. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, it must have meant a, a lot then because I was going to ask about this because it did f- f- feel like you blew up in the UK almost ahead of anywhere else. So it, 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 yeah. it, it, it must started, mean, it, it must be an important yeah. place to you, right? Yeah, it started in the UK. It was important because it was the first time I was meeting, you know, Chris Cedric and Chris Cracknell from Greensleeve Records. Mm. You know, and we just kind of jumped in. Big up to Kate, who was, who was the uh, PR person at the time. And I was just kind of thrust into this whole promotion thing mm. that I had no idea what I was doing. I, you know, it was like just thrown into the lion's end and you just kind of have to figure it out. You know what I mean? And you know how British press is. Yeah. So I had to be like, okay, you can't say this. You can't say that. You got to be careful with this guy. And it became a big thing, but it was my training ground, so to speak, preparing me for what was which I didn't know then was going to be a very long lasting career over 30 years, but I had no idea, but it really set me up and big up to Maxi Priest, who at that time kind of was prepping me by giving me doing interviews and, and kind of bringing me into it and teaching me how to, how to speak and how to take over an interview and how to, you know, be interesting and, you know, even performing in the stage. I mean, Maxi taught me all of that firsthand, bro. Oh, I, I want to talk about performing because, I mean, the carnival's the carnival, man. It, it it goes off at carnival and and you're in on the Saxon sound system, the legendary Saxon sound system. Yeah. How do you transform into... Because like we were discussing before we, we got r- yeah. rolling, you, you're a family man now. But yeah. Shaggy is is Mr. Boombastic, is Mr. Yeah. Lover Lover, is it wasn't me. Is there a level of transformation when you step on stage and become that larger-than-life character? You know what? Um, it has to be a little bit of both. You know, yeah. the thing is that, you know, I'm a family man now, but, you know, my wife met me as this person, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and used to be on tour with me and rock with me and did, did the whole vibe. Yeah. Uh, so in a sense, it's a little bit of both. And the transformation isn't much of a transformation. Once I, once I hit the stage, you know, I'm that guy, yeah. you know, I step into that, into that, that shoes. You know, I came from a sound system mm. and a matter of fact, I was a big fan of Saxon sound system with Papa Levi and, you know, Rusty and, and, and all of these guys, Tipper Irie, the whole, whole nine yard, you know, muscle head, you know, and it's not my first time being on there. I went to the last Notting Hill Carnival I did. I was on Saxon also. So I'm really looking forward to, you know, to doing that. It, it's going to be a highlight. I, you know, and then you got to go back and forth and try and freestyle and do it. It's, it's, <laughs> it's going to be interesting, you know? <laughs> I was going to say, it's the beauty of a sound system is it's not like a yeah. normal gig. It's, there's a fluidity over the whole event and the day. You're flowing in and yeah. out. It's not come and do your songs and then leave. It's like, no, you're part of this. Yeah, you're part of the whole vibe. So I'm doing that. I'm also doing the Rampage stage too. So it's going to be fun. And I haven't done it in a long, long time. So I'm really, really looking forward to it. I love it. Well, again, I want to go all up and down all over your career. And I'm glad you're in, in New York. Because as you say, with O'Carolina, with Mr. Boombas, with all of these, you really broke dance hall in the UK and in, in, in many areas and brought it all forward. But back in 94, 93, 94, I'd had experience of your reggae and stuff, but I was a punk kid and then a rap kid. And mm-hmm. K- K- Kenny Dope, Gunshot, 
you being, <laughs> being in New York in, in 94, because New York 94, you're living in New York in 94, and that is Nas, that is Biggie, that is Kenny Dope, that is all of this. How was that to be part of that, that world as well at the same time? You know, it's funny that hip hop is celebrating 50 years. Yeah. You know, and I'm watching everything going. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm friends with Cool Herc and, you know, and a lot of these guys that I see that are celebrating hip hop were guys that I was in the trenches with. You know, I, I, yeah. I remember Damon Jay coming into Starlight Ballroom and coming into Club Illusion. You know, I remember Ralph McDaniels, you know, and Video Music Box. You know, my first video of Carolina was actually produced and directed by Ralph McDaniels. Right. Uh, from, from Video Music Box, yeah. you know. Uh, so I was very much a part of the hip hop scene. You know, I, I remember Puffy, you know, working for Andrea Harrell at the time. We were at Rocket Studio when Jodeci was there with me. And Puff was just, you know, a, kind of an intern at the time coming in, you know. Mary, all of us, Eddie F., you know, Heavy D. These are all people that I, you know, Heavy D was Jamaican. Heavy D mom used to cook, you know, uh, over there in Mount Vernon. And so I'm a, I, I just look at it and I was like, wow, I'm, I was definitely there and a part of it. I actually had hit records before a lot of them had hit records. Yeah. And because hip-hop was so new, it was about that mixing of, of genres. Like you mentioned Mary J. Blige who's been on and she, and she put Biggie on the first tracks and people yeah. like that. It was about crossing over singers and rappers and everything. People don't understand that. If you look at it, Dolly My Baby remix from Supercat, Biggie mm. was featured on it. It was yeah. produced by Puffy. Cat was a huge artist at the time. And that kind of introduced Biggie to the world yeah. through dance yeah. You yeah, know, a lot of yeah. people don't, a lot of people don't know that, that on that Supercat remix was, was when, and speaking of the Kenny Dope record, you know, Kenny Blow, that record came out on Sleeping Bag. Sleeping Bag was one of those notorious hip hop labels. I remember at that time when I signed, when O'Caroline was blowing up, when we signed to Virgin, that record became a problem and they had to pull the record. And that's why that record didn't become a bigger record. Right. You know, yeah. we had to, we had to literally pull, we had to pull the Kenny Dope record because, well, Carolina was there and Virgin had a problem with that. It's like, okay, yeah. this other record is, yeah. You know, and that was a different time. You couldn't have like multiple records. Oh, on the vinyl, it's on the vinyl, it says unreleased Kenny yeah. Dope and Shaggy track. So it's, 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 so it got pulled because of that because you had to be in one place, right? Right. Because we, we in America, it was blowing up and it was starting yeah. to come over to the UK. And, and Virgin, I remember there was a big, big thing because Virgin has just signed me for like a million pounds at that time in 1993, which was on a herd of in reggae. Yeah. And uh, you know they had their investment. And it was like, yo, hey, you got to, you got, we got to you know, put a cease on the cease on this record. <laughs> yeah. So talk to me about your journey into music then, because you were you're born in Kingston, you you moved to, to New York in those key years. You were in the Marines. What was the soundtrack to all of that? Where did music pl pl play its part in that in that period of your life? I, you know, I got to New York. It was always playing a, a part of it. You know, I saw Yellow Man live at Skateland. And I got the bug, you know, yeah. this guy walked, this guy came in really late, touched the mic, walked out and the whole dance walked out with him. And I was like, wow, who is this guy? Yeah. I, I want to be that guy, yeah. you know? And um, I met Yellow Man again when I was at primary school, standing bumming drive to go home. And he pulled up to me and was like, youth, and, and gave us some money. And <laughs> I was, you know, I'm just <laughs> like, it, it was just such a superstar, that guy, you know what I mean? He's like, yeah, my God! If anybody was a rock star, Yellow Man was a rock star. You know, the the dressing, the jewelry. You know, I was like, who's this guy? You know, I was blown away with just. You know, I saw his yellow BMW coming down, and he walks with the yellow tracksuit and crossroads. And I was like, yo, I want to be that guy. 
And so that's yeah. where the book started. And I came, I came to Brooklyn and that was a culture shock because, you know, I'm, you know, I don't, I don't know anything about New York, but what I found out now was like, it was a melting pot. So I met, I was influenced by, there was Zouk, there was, you know, Haitian music, music from Panama. It was all of this that was going on that I was like, wow, I didn't even know these different styles. I didn't know about soca. I didn't know about all of this mm. just kind of came into a whole play for me. And, and then, you know, I went to Erasmus Hall, which is an academy of the arts and where, you know, some of the biggest stars have, have gone there. Clive Davis came out of there. And of course, Barbara Streisand, a lot of, a lot of great names, you know, special ed, everybody. And I met a, a young man by the name of uh, El General. Okay. And El General was a Panamanian kid. He was on the lunch bench and he would beat the bench and spit dance all lyrics in Spanish. And I would be over on the other one, spitting dance all lyrics for my little click, the Jamaican click. And then he had a Panamanian click. And he ended up recording a song called To Pum Pum and another song called Muy Bella, Muy Bella, which were the first two reggaeton songs. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and there was a brother by the name of Carl Williams who he named, he produced those two songs at VP Records at the time. And he named the genre reggaeton. Right. And through, pe- through people re- repeating it, repeating it and, and, and pronouncing it bad, it became reggaeton. Yeah. You know, and, and that was, you know, the beginning of this multi-billion dollar industry that we know right now. And, and I remember El Henner and I went to Uptown and went to this guy called Gungi Rivera's club that he did all these Panamanian shows. And I walked to El Henneral and the guy was like, Jesus, I'm like, oh, who are you? You know, because he was such a massive star. And so I remember all of this just by being in New York. And it was just a very creative time at that time. Yeah, yeah. And again, you, you, you've you nailed it there. The beauty of New York is that it is a melting pot. And you can, yeah. like on foot, you can go. I've I've always loved walking around New York because oh. I, I feel like, like I can walk through, feel like I'm walking through four different g- genres music videos in, in, in an hour's walk and completely different yeah. kind of, of styles and that. So that must have been perfect. Because as I said, you did and continue to, step from genre to genre and and cross over genres and things like that do you think that comes from that 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 broad birth of influences in new york definitely that that was that was a big part of the influence the fact that i was in this melting pot i was introduced to all these different styles of music but there was also a major part with sting international be my producer at the time and and we just kind of clicked and we were a creative musical magic uh Mm. and marriage that just worked and he he was a DJ and just a DJ of many records. You know, his record collection was extensive. And, you know, when you look at all these samples that we use from Booker T and the MGs, you know, to that girl, you know, to Pink Floyd on It Wasn't Me or Marvin Gaye on the remix of these songs or Angel in the Morning to, to Juice Newton's Joker, yeah. you know, Steve Miller Band, the Joker, yeah. you know, all these samples came from Sting's knowledge. You know, Sting International, who was my yeah. producer at the time, yeah, his yeah, yeah, knowledge yeah. and influences from all these different styles of music. And and I just ate it up because it was so different. I never wanted to follow everybody else. You know, I went on tour with Maxi and I, I was in, you know, uh, uh, Brazil. We did Rock in Rio with Simply Red and Nirvana, you know, Aerosmith. Everybody was on the bill and I'm, we're rocking. I'm like, you know, 60,000 people singing Maxi Priest's song, you know, and they speak Portuguese. And and I was like, I was blown away by that. I was like, wow, I want this global thing. So doing these different styles of music was the way to that, you know? Yeah. And I know I was going to get a lot of criticism for it because, you know, I was never liked by the reggae purist anyway, you know? But to me, I've always said, I've always criticized reggae purists in the sense that, you know, you look at Dennis Brown, you look at Peter Tush, you look at Bob Marley, 
You know, you look at Black Uhuru, Sly and Robbie, who the fuck are we to think that we could top that? Mm. These guys are masters of what the fuck they do, bro. Yeah. You know, why would I walk in that lane? Yeah. I got to create my own legacy. I can't create my legacy trying to copy what these guys have done so eloquently and so good. Yeah. Yeah. To this day, everybody who tried to be a Bob Marley or tried to be Black Uhuru or tried to be Dennis Brown, it's just not authentic. Yeah, I completely agree. Because you can't top what these guys do because they're masters. They were masters at it. So I never tried to do it. I tried to create my own vibe to it. And it met with a lot of criticism throughout the years. Now, people are hailing me in so many ways because it's almost, you see where music has changed to, you know, and you listen to dancehall and reggae what it is right now, it's a whole different feel. And it's kind of the feel that I was doing from Jump Street anyway. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. I'm saying. So it's almost just like, oh my God, the guy must have a crystal ball. It's a genius to see where it was going. But no, it was just, it was just my urge and, and hunger for new. You know, I was thinking I connected in so much ways, you know, because when he was doing the police, he, he's, you know, started as a punk band and then had these reggae influence because there was a large, in England, large Caribbean community. And he really mm-hmm. was fascinated, you know, because of the fact that you are, I'm allergic to boredom and so is he. And yeah. we want, we want things that sound unique and really, pe- I, I make records selfishly. Mm-hmm. I don't make records to please an audience. I yeah. make records to please myself. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm going to live with this music more than you are. Yeah, yeah, of course. I I play <laughs> Mr. Bombastic way more than you do. you listen. Yeah, 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 yeah. I got to be in love with it, bro. Yeah. You know, and so I make music for me. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's talk a little bit about that thing. It must be confusing for you. Like, I've got a lot of mates yeah. called Stu. You having two hugely yeah. influential people in your career, yeah. Sting International yeah. and Sting, that must be confusing yeah. when you're explaining things. But I remember when the announcement of of, of you guys' record came out, yeah. it seemed out of nowhere. It's like, why? how are Shaggy and Sting doing a record together? This seems mad. But then w- when you touch upon that, as you say, because of Don Letts DJing in the punk scene in those early days when people like the police were being influenced to coming through, a lot of that punk scene had reggae and dancehall influences. Yeah. So, yeah. And then it's obviously all there in the police. They've, they've got yeah. that kind of two-step, that those, yeah. those offbeats. Yeah. So how did that collaboration come together? And then how has it been received? Because I said, when you first redid the article, I think everyone goes, "Yeah, I didn't know these guys... Knew each other. I didn't know. <laughs> How's this happened? So tell me a little bit about it, on, about on you and pa- Sting. On paper, it looks really, really crazy. Yeah, <laughs> it does. And people are confused. You know, I remember when we did the tour, people were just a little bit confused. But when they left, all the reviews were fantastic. Yeah. Because when we put both sets of songs together, I have a lot of hits. Yeah. And Sting has a lot of hits from both his catalog and the police. Yeah. And when you line these songs up behind each other in a hour show, bro, yeah. come on. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> you're like, oh my God, I forgot about this one. Oh, oh, I forgot. Oh, oh. And that's just how the vibe is. You know, Sting is the brother I never knew I needed. Yeah. You know, I was at, for the first time I met Sting was in Antwerp. Uh, I was doing something with me and James Brown and Cindy Lauper. It was a big festival. Wow. Tour thing. We were there for a long time. And uh, it was Night of the Proms with a big orchestra. And Sting came in and was playing. And we had to give up the Coliseum for the Saturday night. And I just went to a show. And we met, 
you know, him being a big fan of, of reggae, you know, he wanted to meet me. We, we, we met, chatted up for a bit. And he's like, yeah, you want to jump up on Roxanne? And I, you know, I really didn't give him an answer. And while he was doing the song, I just kind of walked up, <laughs> you know, and jumped <laughs> on his mic. And, you know, we got the crowd jump in and the whole vibe after that. And then years ago, years after that, you know, his A&R is Martin Kirzenbaum. And Martin was also my A&R at Interscope. And Martin just thought, you know, uh, Martin was now managing Sting and just heard me with a song called Don't Make Me Wait, brought it to Sting. Sting walked in, singing a record. And in that one studio session, we laughed more than we worked. Yeah. <laughs> it was just... It was just like, what the hell is this? And, you know, Sting from that one studio session, loved the record so much. He's like, yo, I wanna, I'm going to do a reggae album as Shaggy if you would help me put it together. And in putting it together, you know, I ended up being on like six songs. And I went to Sting. I was like, yo, bro, you got to take some of these songs off. You know, this is starting to sound like a Sting and Shaggy album. You know, and it's like, you know, it's a Sting album. And he's like, yo, then why, why, why would I do that? I like them all. Why don't we do it as a Sting and Shaggy album? <laughs> and, I, and I was like, okay, well, you know, I had a whole project planned to put out. But hold on, let me, let me. And the fun was just so great. We just continued. Yeah. And he has now become my brother. You know, Sting has been to my home in Jamaica, hung out, you know, my kids. I'm, you know, Trudy and I love Trudy. Trudy's like my, my sister. And, and, you know, I go by his place. And, you know, I was doing press this morning and, and I haven't seen him in, in quite a while because he's been touring and I've been touring and just seeing him, I was just like, you know, brah. And, and I texted him. I was like, yeah, bitch, you ain't called me for a minute. What's up? <laughs> yeah, I love he, just wrote, he just wrote me, oh yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it's my anniversary and I've been doing, you know, uh, it's like 31 years. I mean, truly, I was like, oh, dude, I, I totally didn't even realize that, you know, I, I wanted to send you, I should send you a gift. You know, I was going to send you a bottle of wine, but then you own a winery. So fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> And it's like, yes, I'm not drinking any other wine but my wine. <laughs> I love it. You know, but he's just, yeah, man. I, you know, he's probably one of those people that you just didn't know you needed in your life and just really validates a lot of stuff for me, man. And, you know, for somebody who has who's done, you know, I've done so many things within the genre and almost like an unsung hero in so many ways. When you get Sting really put his arm around you, you're like, yo, bro. The things you have done in this game has influenced me in so many ways. It's, it's, yeah, it's, you know, it's heartwarming. Yeah, it must mean the world. Absolutely. I I love it when these things have these organic stories and you casually dropping in there a show in, 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 in Europe with you, James Brown, Cindy Lauper, and Sting. It's like, that seems like an absolutely, that, that, that seems like madness. But then, Sting. Sting was on the show. Sting was on the show. Doing, I was doing Nine of the Problems, me, James Brown, Cindy Lauper, Joe Cocker. Yeah. Pointer Sisters. Wow. <laughs> wow. I was the youngest one on there. But yeah. James Brown was, you know, I, I just, you know, James Brown was in love with my wife. My wife was there. And she just, he just loved it. She had this thick oh, Jamaican really? accent. And she's beautiful. And she walks in and is like, where's my lady? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where's my lady? Let me tell you something. And you know, you can tell a lot about a man from his wife. <laughs> and uh, I love he, just it. Lo- he just loved her. And, he, you know, he'd come and watch me every night on stage. Yeah. James Brown. James Brown walked in and gave me a, 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 a he kicked my front door open and just gave me a lecture one, one day. He's like, I've watched you. You know, you're the truth. I've seen him come and go. You've been here for a long time. Let me tell you that. They take away your money, your house, your car, your woman. There's one thing they never take away from you. It's your talent. As long as you have your talent, you're a rich man. You keep doing what you're going to do because the world got to see you. Let me see both sides because you're funny. <laughs> <laughs> he gave me that whole speech. I was like, yo, man. And and James and I just, we hung out a couple of times. And he was just, he was just a darling of a man. 
Darling. Man, to to get the artistic cosine from James Brown is one thing, but then to get the hum the, the humor cosine and the wife cosine from James Brown, yeah, that's just exactly. that's just next level. He's authorizing you in every in every place yeah, he, here. He look, he look at me and say, hey, you almost look good as me. <laughs> she just ain't got my perm. <laughs> I love it. Well, I mean, he said you're going to be around a long time and you do continue to be be doing this. And it's, and I have. it's, it's amazing. Yeah, he said it. He can, said it. He said it. Yeah. Can we rewind back a little bit? Because you said it was mad to come over when O'Carolina was blowing up and there was queues around the block. Well, a year or two later, Mr. Bombastic, it wasn't me, Angel, all of these t- took it to an absolute another level. How was that? How was life on the road at that point? Touring with like Paula Abdul and at, at that time again, a weird, weird mixes of genres and all sorts of different things there. How, yeah. how was that life? You got to remember that radio stations back in the days did not play reggae music or dance hall, no. major radio stations. So yeah. uh, we didn't have social media. Um, I remember driving around doing regional radio in England. Yeah. I was in a little car. You know, I was on Greensleeve Records, so didn't have much budget at the time. Yeah. You know, I remember going to the first time we went on Top of the Pops. We did it like three times back to back, and it was like unheard of. Yeah. And Top of the Pops at that point was the show. I remember taking the tube. I took the underground wow. to Top of the Pops uh, because you know, Greece. We didn't even have you know, you know, there was there wasn't going to pay for cars at that time. <laughs> and money in the record industry took a while to get through in those days yeah, as well. Yeah. You, you can right, have a hit, exactly. and you might not have yeah. any money yet. So it, it and then it blew up. You know, but when Virgin ended up signing us and then we got, you know, a million pounds, then everything kind of changed. And, yeah. you know, Ken, there was a brother by the name of Ken Berry who was running Virgin at the time. And he was really a, a visionary. And I remember him walking in and kind of handpicking it um, boombastic because my manager wanted Summertime, which ended up being a number three record and, and, a, and a hit record too. But Ken Berry was like, you know, there's a Levi ad advert coming out. And the producers put Mr. Boombastic under it and it fits perfect. He's like, I don't care what you put out, but this record is coming out. And that was the first time ever that a dance hall or a reggae song debuted at number one of the British chart. Mm. It was Mr. Boombastic. Mm. So again, that's another first. And then we did it twice afterwards because Angel debuted at number one and it wasn't me to debut at number one. And the album also debuted at number one, the Hot yeah. Shot album. Yeah. That's the first time in, in the history of reggae or dance hall that, that that was happening. So we were first on many, many things. So the ride at that time was great. And it spawned Kind of a movement at that point. We had a movement with Snow, mm-hmm. with with Informa. That yeah. that was number one. Another one was Shabarang's um, House House Call. That was um, Mr. Loverman actually was released. Yeah. That was number three, uh, and it was the first time that you had all the first three records on the British chart being like you know number one, you know one, two, and three, yeah. and um, that was that was history. You know, and then right after that, I was I, I hung out with his brother by the name of Steve uh, Apache Indian. Yeah. I remember Susan Newman from Island Records picking me up in her little BMW and Steve was in the car and Susan was like, oh, I just play him the damn song. And they played me what was a rough of Boom Shakalak. Yeah. And I was grooving. I was like, yo, this is fucking great. And, then, and, and, and Steve just held his head. It was like, he just held his head and was like, brah, thank God. Because I, I thought you'd be mad that I nicked your, I nicked your shit. Because <laughs> there were so many elements of, of old Carolina yeah. And in Boom Shakalak. Yeah. But it was such a great, great record. It was such a smash hit. And, you know, Steve and I were friends for, for years, years afterwards. You know, his impact on the Indian culture, you mm. know, was was just amazing. You know, and th- so those were great rides going in. And when 
I think when It Wasn't Me and Angel took off in America now, that spawned a whole new movement. And then there was Sean Paul, Wayne Wonder. I was going to say, and, you and laid the ground Elephant for Man. Sean Paul, yeah. Sean Kingston, oh, yeah. Elephant Man, all of yeah. these kind of... Yeah. The, then you, you spoke briefly earlier of reggae purists never being on you, but everyone that came after you was 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 respectful and knew what you'd done and as I said there's a yeah. long list of people there who yeah yeah huge. I mean you know after I think after anyone who has traveled and, and understand it, you might have some people in Jamaica that you know still to, especially the younger guys who just don't know you know it was like oh yeah you know they, they see vibes cartel and that's it you know what I mean mm-hmm. but a lot of them haven't traveled the world to really understand the impact of what we did you know and how we opened up the market in so many ways you know what I mean I got to give it to Sean Sean is probably one of the few people that really gave me my flowers. Yeah. on almost every interview, you know what I mean? And just really kind of, you know, get in. And and I I totally, and he's one of those guys that has been one of the most impactful people within the genre of dancehall yeah. over the years, you know, and reggae, you know, and uh, continue to be, continue to be soaring. You know, he's the highest streaming reggae, reggae act and dancehall act. Uh, I think I'm a close second or something like that. And it just feel good to know that, you know, I was a part of something, mm. you know? Yeah. Mm. And 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 then again, as you look forward in your career, it's continuing that that crossing over and going where you you want to go. I I did a gig a while back with Eve, and Eve goes hard, and you collaborated with Eve with Cardi B. I was reading an article about yeah. an almost collaboration with Rihanna at one point. So again, there's all these yeah. these huge names. Tell yeah. me a little bit about collaborate well, with all these people. You know, I'm not big on the, the, the collaboration unless it's really... Like, you see me with Sting. We're friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, I'm not I'm not going for you because you're hot. You know, yeah. Cardi B came to me when, you know, her manager at, at the time, Shaft, and my brother D. Sunderum brought her into me. Mm. And she was this young girl, snaggletooth, a stripper, with a fucking personality. It's just, you know. Yeah. And I had this record called Boom Boom. And I put her on the record, you know, I had popcorn on the record too. And, you know, um, you know, she had said some, some stuff in the record, um, you know, uh, uh, about, you know, fellatio or whatever it is and blah, blah, blah. And he wasn't too happy about it. And, you know, and so I just ended up kind of pulling the record, you know, but it was such a great relation. Right after that, she got Bodak yelling. She was the biggest star in the world. And I was like, wow, you see, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but that was one of those situations that I just really, really love. Mm. You know, I remember just being in England with Rihanna. We spent the whole night, me and her and her crew, just laughing and, and cracking up. You know, and just to see her as this massive, massive star. I saw a couple of years back ago. I was standing and I felt I was in the Grammy and somebody put their hands, hands around my eyes and covered me. I'm like, what the hell? Who's this? And when I turned around, it was Rihanna. Yeah. <laughs> and she just started laughing. And my wife was standing behind me and was like, what's going on here? <laughs> and just to see these people you know, transcend into such massive stars, you know, even Jay, you know, when I, we started with Jay and I saw, I seen, I seen Jay when Jay was coming in with Dame, you yeah. know, and, and to see them as the giants they are today, it's like, Again, yeah, early, it's cool. early New York days, those, yeah, that early, New York yeah. in the nineties, you know, yeah. it's got to have been a mad, a mad one. Well, I mean, you've talked about the collaborations only being if the, if the, the vibe is right and not being about who you are or your status, but it must've meant the world to work with Toots and the Maytals, right? Because again, just icons. Yeah. I, well, Toots was my grandmother's favorite artist. Yeah. I really did that because my grandma, grandma is dead now and she was dead when I did the record. But yeah, when Toots asked me to do it, I, I jumped to it for the simple fact that he was... And I, I remember having a conversation with Toots and telling him that, you know, and, and uh, he was like, wow, you know? And um, 
we did Bam Bam, and it was it was just a great situation. I, be, I remained friends with Toots years afterwards. Him and I would chop it up every time we see each other. You know, uh, we pass each other in Kingston here and there. You know, and mm-hmm. just just a, a kind man, and just you know, always have a big smile on his face. You know, so it, it it's really really great. But you know, with back to the collaboration thing, you know, it, it doesn't make sense you collaborate with an artist when they're hot. Because a lot of them would do it because you're who you are and you know what you stand for iconic wise and and then they don't support the record and they don't want to you know want to do promo and they give you one tweet and I'm I'm not like I'm not like, if you look at the track record of my my songs you know I did it wasn't me with a unknown artist by the name of Rick Rock I did Angel with another unknown artist by the name of Rayvon I did I Need Your Love with Mahambi and Faded two unknown artists I did I just did Banana with two billion stream with an unknown artist by the name of Conqueror. I just did Godum Day, which is streaming about 4 million streams a week right now, you know, for the last two years since it came out with Spice. Yeah, I, you know, I just, it comes down to the integrity of the record first. Mm. I don't give a shit who you are yeah. because I am the type of person that I'm going to carry the record. Yeah. yeah. I don't need you to carry the record. Yeah. It's nice if you can, like, I, I like working with Sean Paul because that's a guy, he's a workaholic. He's a workhorse. You know, if we're if I'm doing this interview right now and I'm talking about a song that me and Sean go, he better be on this interview. Yeah. Because he's gonna call me and cuss me out and say, Who the fuck you think I am? You're gonna leave yeah. me off this shit. You <laughs> yeah. know? Yeah. And I love that. I love yeah. that about it. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Well, uh, t- talk to me about in the mood. Cause again, you seem to just continue to have this excitement and passion and that work course nature with <laughs> your own music. What was your approach on in the mood? What was your your goal with this new one? You know. The song itself, the single itself, Mood, was a song that I wrote within the pandemic. You know, obviously mm-hmm. we were all just so locked up. And I, the pandemic for me was a weird one because I was locked up, but I got so much done. Yeah. You got to realize in a pandemic, I had two hit songs. I had Godunde with Spice and I had Banana at 2 billion. And both of them I did during the pandemic. Yeah. You know? That's mad. And I wrote Mood during the pandemic and it just felt like kind of a festive carnival kind of feel, feel good. Mm-hmm. And it just sounded like Kess. And I, I approached Kess about it, played for him, and he liked it. And we ended up doing it. And I told Kess, my dream here, my vision here is really to do a song that will transcend outside of seasonal music. Carnival becomes a very soca music, becomes a seasonal music. Mm. And I didn't want a seasonal song. I want something that would last past the soca season, you know? And um, we're starting to see that happen with mood, yeah. you know? With that yeah. single, and you know, it has been just catching on, and people are just get because it's such a feel good record. So it's a, it's a good. And then I I decided to put a, an EP together in the mood, and I you know I went for Patrice. I, I kind of wanted to fuse dancehall and reggae because I think the two go hand in hand. You know, in Jamaica, carnival and soca music has, has been a part of the Jamaican culture for years. Mm. You know, and um, it's not my first time dabbling into dancehall. I did it with with Marshall Montana. You know, and I come back again doing it again. So yeah, you know, I, I just wanted to, and it's I, I put the CD on. I, I mean, I put the body of work on, and it just you just feel like you're dancing. Yeah, you know, you just feel festive. You feel like you're on vacation or something like that. And that's what I kind of love about it. Yeah, I love it. Well, I mean, can you talk to me a little bit about crowds over the years? Because you spoke earlier about being inspired by a yellow man and, and yellow man being a rock star, being a real r- yeah. rock star. Well, by the time you know, it wasn't me came out, or even just by the time Mr. Bombastic came out, that's what you were. You you, you, you you know, you must have felt that vibe from the crowds. 
how is that? And how does it vary as well? Because I'm curious as to what the crowds are like with your shows with Sting and the festival, because there's going to be a mixture. The carnival crowd will be be different from the Sting and Shaggy crowd, right? So, yeah. Oh, absolutely. How is absolutely. that? Absolutely. But, but, you know, the Sting and Shaggy crowd is one thing, but I just did like 36 shows with me and, and TLC yeah. and Sean Kingston and, and, and um, en Vogue. And we sold out all of these venues throughout the United States. You know, yeah. you sold over 250,000 tickets. That's amazing. You know? And, and then we we're doing a festival and then you know, we're just... So I am one of the few artists that could bounce in between genres. Yeah. I have dance all hardcore, hardcore, hardcore dance. So right now we got a record by Drift. I don't know if you know Drift. I'm not familiar with Drift. No, no, By no. T, TJ. It's the biggest dance hall record right now. You know, that project is a project I'm, I'm A&R and I did Yalim Time with me and TJ. So I continue to put my finger on the pulse of what is dance hall and street music mm. and still produce these records, you know. So I'm, I have no problem fitting into that carnival crowd at all. And, yeah. and I have classic dance hall and reggae track that works right within it. And Mood is just doing incredibly well within that space also. So it's not going to be a hard thing for me to go in there and awesome. just connect. Yeah, yeah. So uh, this is going to sound like a, a really overly typical question, but I see you on Instagram in videos. I see your live gigs. How do you keep young <laughs> like, like how do you keep this energy like it, we've been speaking for 45 minutes now and the excitement and passion and energy is still there and so many people in the industry for as long as you have been lose that and lose a bit of that flair and excitement but again wow. i see you doing instagram videos and you're 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 you're, you're in the studio buzzing or you're on stage performing and you're yeah. running up and down that stage you, you know you know when you do something that's your passion that you like like yeah. you don't want to see me. You don't want to see me kick a ball. It's, I mean, it's it's embarrassing. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but I but I do this. I'm a master at this thing. Yeah, I know what I'm doing. I have an ear. I think my best asset is my ear. Sting mm. always says it to me. Is like the things you hear. I use those fascinated the type of melodies I come up. You know, and I don't even play instruments. Mm. You know, and he was like, "Wow, how do you do that?" You know, and I don't know. I ju- I just love it. I love what I do. And I have gratitude. I'm filled with more gratitude than anything because I came from, you know, the, the ghettos of, of Raytown. And dude, I, I've been on stage with Michael Jackson. Mm. I sat with Michael Jackson and this guy knew my, not just knew my name, but he knew my songs. And he yeah. was asking me about them and he sung them for me. Wow. It from Kingston. Yeah. You know, yeah, I yeah, was yeah. on stage and I... The queen of England knew who the fuck I was. <laughs> That's mad, this, isn't it? Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm sitting there and Prince Harry is walking up and be like, yeah, it wasn't me. I mean, it's, it's crazy. You know, I'm, I'm there the other day sitting down singing for the Pope. Yeah. Bruh, what's there not to be excited? I met the greatest person I've ever met in my life, knew who I was. My, a hero when I sat with Nelson Mandela. Wow. And this man is a giant. Bro, it's gratitude I'm filled with as this little kid that, you know, barely finished high school. Mm. And here I am, best friend with a giant in the game, Sting. Oh, bro, come on, man. What's there not to be enthusiastic about, bro? Really? Right, yeah. Am I, yeah. Am I that egoistical? Are you fucking nuts? Yeah. What, if I get up and be miserable every day, I am an ungrateful son of a bitch. Mm. Yeah, you know, I have so much to be. It, I changed the, the, the trajectory of my whole family's life. I have a niece that just went to Princeton. It's the first person in my family to ever go to college, and she got a full scholarship at Princeton. Big up Chrissy. I, come on, man. 
It's beautiful. Me being mad, what the fuck am I going to be mad about, bro? <laughs> yeah. You know, even, on my, even on my worst day, I'm like, man, God, what a ride. Thank you, Jesus. Thank the Lord. It's interesting because when you're in music, and it can be mind-blowing when musicians that you l- look up to or idolize are aware of you, are fans of your work, but it's a slightly different thing when people outside of music that are culturally important, like it, it makes you know you've had a cultural impact when people like Nelson Mandela know who you are, when the, f- the fucking Queen of England <laughs> knows yeah. who you are. So, yeah. so how are those ones? Do those ones hit differently? Or is it, you know, a kind of all on that same level of, there's James Br- Br- Brown here, there's, there's Queen Elizabeth there, <laughs> there's Michael Jackson here, the, you know. The, the- the, the hunger is still because I represent a genre that's only 5% of the global market share, mm. but yet still it's a genre that has birthed so many other genres. Yeah, You know, hip-hop is celebrating 50 and it was birthed out of dancehall yeah. through Cool Herc. Reggaeton is a multi-billion dollar genre that was birthed out of dancehall. Mm. Arguably, and I say this arguably because a lot of the Africans get really mad when I say this, but Afrobeat, really was heavily influenced through dancehall because I used to go to Africa every year and play stadium. I remember Burna Boy. I saw Burna Boy the other day at Clive Davis' party and, you know, we were having a conversation and he was telling me about this concert that we had, you know, where he had opened for that that concert and uh, I think he was out of Lagos or one of these other spots that we played, mm. you know, and just to see him as the giant superstar he is today is just like, wow, amazing. And it's, they've had such a journey to get here and I'm just reveling in it, just seeing them do these amazing things of, of fulling stadiums. And I wish, I'd wish for that for my genre, mm. you know? And we had a moment there and we did it with Dancehall with me and Sean and, you know, but there, I just didn't, there's still a lot to accomplish in it and it still needs to get its flowers and its recognition. And that's what I'm a symbol of. I mm. still find myself in a position of influence where the genre is, is and I still strive to put my best foot forward. So, so I mean, to wrap things up, what's ahead for this kid from Kingston? Because, again, you speak so passionately about the genre. I know you A&R as well. Is it split between Shaggy in the forefront and Shaggy in the background? Like, what's your, your outlook on what the future holds? I'm, I'm an artist first. Yeah. I'm an artist first, 100%. You know, whether it's my philanthropic things or mm-hmm. things that I've accomplished in music or the way I represent my country, that's all secondary to me being an artist. Me being this persona. That's who I am, you know? Yeah. But what I what I really have is knowledge. It's 30 years of me doing this. I know shit that none of them know. Mm-hmm. So I keep this, I, do, I keep this conference every February in Jamaica and urge people to come in and learn shit because I don't think our genre could move without education. Yeah. They have to be educated. They got to understand. We got to get rid of the, the hustle mentality. Yeah. I seen hip hop did it, you know, because they had smart people, you know, they had the Lear coins and, and, Kevin Lyles and, you know, Chris Lighty and these, these, you know, Mona Scott and these people who figured it out. Yeah. They, they got educated. They understood what their worth was. They really realized the value of culture mm. and they capitalized on it. And now you, this is the, you look at hip hop, it's the youngest genre and it has produced four billionaires. Yeah. Within its young lifespan. Yeah. It's short lifespan. Yeah. You know, so far, if you think about rock or pop, you really don't have billionaires out of it. You haven't heard of these billionaires out of it. I'm sure Sir mm. Paul McCartney is probably one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you yeah. think about the amount of time it took them to do, they did it in hip hop within less than 50 years. Yeah. You know, and 
that came from dancehall. So if we don't, if we don't start realizing the value of culture, you know, and monetizing it, they're going to do it for us. You know, I remember when we had me and Sean Paul and Wayne Wanda, and we had that real reggae movement and dancehall movement going in, and the Fujis was doing dancehall, and everybody was doing dancehall. You know whose merchandise and bags and shoes and clothing I saw in Neiman Marcus? Gwen Stefani. It wasn't us. Mm. It wasn't Shaggy. It wasn't Sean Paul. It wasn't Wayne. It wasn't Elephant Man. Mm. And that's because we didn't have smart people that knew what the hell to do. Yeah, 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 yeah. Gwen did. Yeah. You know, and she did Hey Baby and put Bounty Killer and Lady Saw on these records and underneath it all and had a big album with No Doubt and sold clothing line. Mm with Jamaican colors and Caribbean colors. And we were like idiots just stand there and just chasing the hustle dollar. Yeah, We got to educate past that. And that's why I'm here. I am going to scream it even if you don't want to fucking hear it. Because I've I've been with Sting and just with Sting, I've realized I've seen another level of things that I never thought existed. Yeah, And a lot of them would like you not to see it because it keeps them in control. Yeah, of course. You know, I'm about educating everybody. Well, I love it. I appreciate you taking the time out of your day today to come and talk. This has been an absolute <laughs> joy. I'm going to let you get back to your your day or more press, I'm sure. But yeah, more I appreciate press, yes. you, man. This has been a joy. All right, man. Thank you, brother. You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. That was Shaggy. And I told you it was a good one. How amazing is that, dude? The stories he's got. Loads of people don't realise. As you will have heard there, I can jump in and go hard on this. I, I've, I've, I, I know what this guy's done. He's not just the it wasn't me guy, you know, pulling a funny face and saying it wasn't me. That is a tune. But, you know, he's done so much over the years and influenced so many, continued to work with so many. We didn't even get to touch on his charity work, like his his foundation, the Shaggy and Friends Foundation. Dude's amazing. And I'm so pleased that this one came through. I hadn't mentioned it in the build-up because I'm like, these are the kind of episodes that fall through last minute. But the man took time out of his day and chatted to me for an hour. Mate, hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I'll be back next week with more just absolute icons and and legends. As I mentioned in the intro, oh, actually, I didn't mention in the intro. I'm going to get Buddy to edit this into the intro so you will have heard it twice because I'm now going to say, if this is your first time listening, we mention Mary J. Blige, who's a previous guest. Go and check out Mary. Other previous guests include Dizzy Rascal, Killer Mike and LP from Run the Jewels, Saul Williams, Roots Maneuver back in the day. Go and check all these episodes out. There's some amazing episodes. So yeah, you were, I just paused then so Buddy can edit that in at the start as well and you will have already heard it. You see him, you see him behind the circles if you listen till the end, ladies and gentlemen. I'll be back next week with more goodness. Um, until then, stay safe and stay sane. Ta-ta.